Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, my monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 136 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. We started off the show with a track called Water from Mosquito's great 12-inch EP from last year entitled Drip Water Hollow Out Stone, which is a favorite of mine. This release came out on the excellent New York City-based Ever Never Records, a label focused on various strains of sub-underground rock activity, or in the label's own tongue-in-cheek words, specializing in music for adults. On this episode... We'll be digging deeper into Evernever's back catalog and operations, speaking with label owner Josh Gordon about the history of the imprint, about some of the challenges and considerations of running a small label, and about some of the actual releases that he's put out. And we also touch on Gordon's own musical activities in the group's Maximum Ernst and Consolidated Plastics. Before we get into all that, I'm going to play a few more tracks starting with something from one of the newer releases on the label, from the Twisting the Night 12-inch from Richard Papier Cuts. It's a song called The Riddle.
Could you take us back to the beginning stages of Ever Never, which I believe was uh, 2013, and and what factors motivated you to to start up the label? And I know that you you've been involved in making music of your own, and I was wondering if that uh, compelled you to have an outlet for things that you were involved in, or were you envisioning this as kind of a separate entity, something more as a curatorial project to work on? Well, uh, interestingly enough, at the Start of the label, I was not uh, recording any music at all, so it was definitely not a uh, you know a reason to start up the label. And uh, I was jamming with some guys, I guess, but there was no uh, direction or whatever. But I guess I would say it was more due to uh, hanging out with a lot of label guys. I was hanging out with uh, Harry Howes a lot from Almost Ready and uh, James Engelbeck, who was running Violet Times at the time, and uh, some other guys. And I was going to Death by Audio a lot and. Uh, you know, some of the other venues, uh, you know, Dead Herring down in uh, the Brooklyn, Williamsburg area. And there were just tons of great bands. And uh, I was also communicating uh, through Terminal Boredom with Andrew from Great Dividing mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, trading, uh, you know, zine scans of uh, Jim Shepard stuff and, uh, you know, talking about the Gordons and, you know, uh, various New Zealand bands and Australia bands and stuff like that. And uh, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. And, uh, I don't know, I like collaborating with people, and it seemed like a good way to uh, collaborate in a way if I wasn't uh, making music at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that I have the label, it's a good outlet uh, to put out my own stuff, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> kind of secondary. You know, just why happened. not? You know, what's a better label to be on? <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're talking about kind of like zine scans and stuff, which uh, maybe a nice tie-in here to my follow-up question is the the website. Um, I'll censor myself. Effing record reviews which uh posts a bunch of old zine scans from back in the i guess the the glory days of zine culture yeah. uh, but uh, but they stated in their year-end write-up recently that ever never is a contemporary label that documents uh, a similarly exciting brand of and i'll quote to use their words sub underground freak rock uh that labels like touch and go sst and homestead were were doing in their heyday of the mid 80s so I was interested in, in finding out if, if these labels are more specifically the diverse catalogs that they've amassed uh, inform some of your work with Ever Never. Well, actually, well, first of all, I need to find out how much uh, Mr. FRR was drinking at the time when he wrote that uh, <laughs> about Ever Never and uh, comparing me in any way to those labels. But uh, actually, I was more, uh, you know, if I have to pick some labels that were... Uh, you know, influences on the way I do things. I would say it's more uh, Drag City and Silt Breeze and uh, their 90s output, uh, you know, Pavement and Silver Jews mm-hmm. and the Dead Sea. And uh, Flying Nun, was, you know, is a huge influence on me and uh, what I try to do. And uh, obviously I love those labels and, uh, you know, Huskadoo and all, you know, Butthole Surfers are obviously bands I love and, you know, uh, I love to put out records like they made. But... Uh, I don't often think about those specific labels when I'm, uh, you know, thinking about uh, me in any kind of contextual way. Right, right. Well, you know, I think, you know, maybe when you initially glance at, like, the catalog or the discography that you've done so far, it might be easy if we had to, like, come up with a concise uh, tag, like, 
Oh, Ever Never is sort of a, a punk label. But I think the more right. and more you look at the, the catalog as a whole, there's certainly things that really push that or stretch that notion uh, much further. And I was just wondering if that's something that you're really not interested in uh, creating a sound per se or this image Absolutely of this of the not, no. yeah no definitely not i would never uh i mean i do this in my spare time and it's uh you know something i do because i love it and uh, i wouldn't want to ever box myself in and uh get into some kind of uh aesthetic sound or visual aesthetic that uh you know i just uh follow the muse a little bit wherever it leads and uh you know, I have a very varied taste, so I think, uh, you know, that uh, the label should reflect uh, my personal taste and not, uh, you know, try to get some email list where every garage record I put out, you know, you could sell 200 records off the bat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Interest me in any way whatsoever. Sure. You know. Uh, well, you are one of the few labels that I'm aware of that is regularly putting out records on the 12-inch EP format, uh, a bit like Flying Nun Records back in their prime, which you, you mentioned previously. Um, sure. Do you feel like that is like the ideal format for today's, shall we say, attentionally challenged listening <laughs> audience, just kind of uh, well, boiling things uh, down to the essentials? Off, I would say that uh, they certainly sound the best mm-hmm. out of uh, every format, I think, you know, the 12-inch uh, 45. Uh, yeah. You know, it could be cut the loudest, you know, just because of the space allowed. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, a 33, uh, 7 inch is uh, something I would never put out at this stage. But, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, I've had discussions, especially with uh, my artist, uh, Richard Papier Cuts, about how, uh, you know, the ADD uh, effect of today, uh, you know, cell phones, whatever it is, television, uh, media in general, have uh, certainly taken up a lot of time, and maybe people have less time. Uh, you know, to listen to something, and if you could uh, make something a bit more potent and effective, you know, over uh, 8, 10, 12 minutes instead of uh, 40 minutes or 18 minutes, you know, uh, instead of 40 minutes, I think it certainly can be a more effective way of, you know, reaching people in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether that's a positive thing or negative thing is, uh, you know, debatable, I guess. Well, I think it certainly yeah. boils things down. I mean, you're, I mean, I know that's often a complaint. As some people will say that the album form, I just boil it down to the the key songs or the hits. And I, right, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's arguments. Some of the 12 inch 45s I have put out, you know, were uh, you know initially uh, supposed to be LPs mm-hmm. that uh, we ruthlessly uh, you know cut down. <laughs> yeah. To the essence, uh, you know, and took out some, uh, I don't know, you know, noise interludes and things that uh, you know in the right context might be effective, but uh, you know. I don't want to say which records, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Did, now you said that that didn't have to be used. Yeah, you said that seven inch is something that you no longer want to do. Now you've done some seven inch records, but no, didn't, I, I didn't say no. I just said that you know a seven inch uh, cut at thirty three. Oh, like, got yeah, gotcha, or, gotcha. As opposed to you know a twelve inch at forty five. Got it. Got so, it. No, yeah. I don't. I mean, I guess uh, the only thing against seven inches would be you know the economics today and how uh, you know it's just very difficult to even. Uh, take a somewhat slight loss <laughs> yeah. on a 7-inch, you know, right, or a pressing right. of 300 or whatever, if you want to have a half-decent mastering job and, you know, half-decent artwork or whatever, and you're not just uh, cutting it all at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with platforms like Bandcamp providing uh, artists an outlet for re- releasing their own music directly, you know, what do you think the role that labels like Ever Never serve in this changing 
music distribution landscape. Um, I mean, I guess for me personally, I almost feel like labels are almost more important now than ever since there's just so much damn music to wade through out there. I know, yeah, what, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I would have to. Well, first of all, I love band camps, and I uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say I think that they've been an excellent uh, platform. And I only uh, use Bandcamp. Actually, I don't even have a you know a URL of my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, especially since they've done more uh, editorial stuff recently, I think they could be a great uh, you know online blog for uh, you know the underground uh, music community or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, I don't know if uh, I find labels more important today than ever. Because, I mean, personally, I spend a lot of time wading through SoundClouds and, you know, uh, wading through this glut of music, uh, trying <laughs> to find the little nuggets that I love and want to put out. So actually, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I'm doing the spelunking for some people. <laughs> but <laughs> And does that not... You know, uh, I know some people have kind of a negative take on that, that there's just too much that... You know, there's too many, like, I don't know, anybody can pump anything out there. Do you, does that not concern you? Do you like that sort of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, democratization of getting music out there? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't personally think it's a bad thing. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you follow somebody on Twitter or uh, Facebook or, you know, then uh, you just unfollow. You don't have to listen. You know, you could focus uh, yourself into the things you care about. And if that's, uh, you know, hand picking a few record labels that you think uh, you like, you know, you could definitely, uh, you know, cut it down that way. Sure. I don't think uh, anybody's forcing anybody, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, to listen to all this music being created. And uh, just because it's there, I don't uh, personally feel psychically <laughs> yeah. affected by, uh, you know, whatever it, uh, is creating in the, uh, you know, atmosphere. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, let's throw out another uh, a platform that's you know out there right now. I'm uh, uh, talking about Spotify, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I really don't know much about Spotify. I haven't even really looked at the website or apps or what have you. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on something like Spotify recommendations, which I hear the youngsters talking about, like that approach of. Uh, things being like, hey, check these things out if you've listened to X, Y, Z versus something like label curation. And uh, do you think, you know, like smaller benefit or smaller labels, excuse me, uh, you know, benefit from a service like Spotify? No, not at all. I would say uh, <laughs> I actually abhor Spotify. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's one of the worst, uh, you know, uh, influences on uh, musical listening culture in general. And, uh, you know, when you're a big label and you have leverage and you could, uh, you know, negotiate a better uh, fee deal, you know, with them, I guess it could be a positive thing. But uh, I find that me and, you know, uh, whatever other sub-underground labels are out there, if we do put... And I do put some records up there if the artist uh, specifically requests that I do, and I'll honor their, uh, you know, request. And I can understand the want to be, you know, available digitally, mm-hmm. uh you know, and like uh, some of my artists, they say, I listen to Spotify, you know, so they want to be on Spotify, which, uh, you know, is fine by me. Mm-hmm. But I think personally, uh, you know, I always thought it was cool that Drag City kept their music off for so long. And uh, unfortunately, they broke down, I guess, a little bit, but maybe they got a bit better of a deal, <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, for holding out or something. But, uh, you know, and these algorithms, I think, are probably complete bullshit and created, uh, <laughs> yeah. for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, uh, I would imagine they possibly being manipulated in some ways and you know like uh there was that one day when all of a sudden like uh, drake you know every playlist had like 15 drake songs or yeah like right that. yeah and it was like you know it becomes a comical uh 
kind of thing. And but you know, you do hear, you know, even though amongst you know a PR guy or two that I know, you know, they said, oh, you know, the premiere, you know, it used to be premiere culture. Everybody wanted to get a good premiere on Pitchfork or Brooklyn Beacon or something, and now it's more. I get a track on, uh, you know, some big DJ's playlist on Spotify or something. So mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely shifted, uh, you know, as a target, I guess I would say, uh, for some labels to uh, get their music in a place. But uh, I personally think it's very uh, having a very negative effect overall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the culture. So you're saying that uh, Patois counselors didn't have 15 plays next to Drake when this record came out? Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I bring that up because... You, uh, you know, and when you see the stats, you know, in the plays, it's pretty, uh, you know, even if you get a few hundred plays, thousand plays, you know, the, you know, the point zero zero one penny that you get to play, you know, it gets pretty depressing to look at. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those spreadsheets that they send you or whatever, you know, and uh, I feel like we just become this, uh, you know, a content uh, mound for them to place, you know, their higher... Uh, whatever, you know, listen mm -hmm. tracks upon. You know, it kind of gives an impression of this massive music library when in fact it's, uh, you know, probably not such a accessible, uh, you know, discovery tool, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I bring up Patois Counselors because we're going to kick off this first block of music with a track from their great album that came out last year called Proper Release. And this album really just captured my attention. Part of it just because I haven't heard like a good, I don't know, kind of, punky record in this vein for a while and this one the fact that they have so many members <laughs> in the group that are involved yeah, and, uh, quite and an incredible group oh yeah yeah and he writes all the songs uh you know they're all composed by one guy and he kind of brings them to the band which i think is pretty impressive and he has uh some a pretty long history of making pretty wild uh you know records with large ensembles Mm -hmm. So he seems uh, pretty capable of rounding up the right people to, uh, you know, make whatever thing he has in his mind. And, uh, you know, it is a fantastic record. It really is, yeah. And uh, well, let's play something from it. This is a track from uh, Patois Counselors. It's called Making Appointments. <laughs> Yes. 
Don't see me around. No, I'm off somewhere now. Gonna shake him on now. Shake him on now. Shake him.
interviewed a few months back by the folks at the long-running legendary punk fanzine Maximum Rock and Roll, uh, which will go down as actually one of the last issues with the recent announcement they they will be seizing the publication of their monthly physical zine. And I know that they have plans to continue on in a more expanded digital format, but do you have any concerns in general about just the shrinking number of places that are actually covering the type of music that Ever Never is releasing? Uh, I guess it's always a concern that, uh, you know, channels are breaking down and, uh, you know, shifting, I guess. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I mean, obviously losing Maximum Rock and Roll as a printing is a huge loss, uh, you know, in general, and uh, super depressing. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there's new uh, zines like uh, TQ Zine out of the UK. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Hmm. But, uh, you know, and Dynamite Hemorrhage by Jay uh, Hinman, yep. you know, is uh, going. And uh, I don't know, there always seems to be uh, things coming and going and uh, building up and breaking down. But uh, I guess I am definitely concerned about, uh, you know, just the overall lack of channels, uh, you know. Even with the maximum rock and roll around, there still always seems to be not enough places uh, covering this type of music. But I guess that's the nature of this type of music, you know. It's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not very, uh, you know, marketable or whatever. So it yeah. kind of uh, comes with the territory, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a part of me that's, wants to tell people who are interested in music like you know maybe you don't need to learn the bass guitar maybe you just need to to start a blog that would be more helpful (laughs) (laughs) but i don't you know i don't want to discourage people (laughs) yeah of course yeah yeah uh you know maybe they're out there also you know on tumblr somewhere you know uh hacking away in the darkness uh you know they just haven't been you know, found out yet. Right, yeah. right. So if yeah. you're out there, Maybe people... we're not doing a good enough job of buying uh, enough zines, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, I'm not sure of the answer. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite parts of that interview was learning about some of the promotional tactics or <laughs> almost more like public art installations that you've used with yeah, Ever and Ever. Um, one of them was like with the first 7-inch that you did by Exiles in Clown Town, you would like scatter them about and photograph them in different parts of New York City, or yeah. or you did this blown up version of uh, was it the first Richard paper yeah, cuts? The, yeah, the first one on my label. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that you like covered up the photo with albums, and as people would remove them, you know, the this large yeah, scale true. image of it was. Yeah. So uh, these activities, of course, <laughs> kind of beg the question. I mean, there, I love it, but. You know, yeah, yeah. Why not take out an ad? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, I did take out some ads, uh, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll, but uh, I don't know. These things just seem like, uh, again, I do this for, uh, you know, in my spare time, and certainly uh, I like to keep it fun for myself, uh, yeah. <laughs> as well as, you know, uh, for the artists, and I want them to have a good time being on Ever Never, but, uh, you know, it's just a good uh, vehicle, I guess, for my own uh, little artistic proclivities, uh, and if yeah. I have, you know, something in mind, uh you know, like I thought that if image was just an absolute perfect uh, image, you know, uh, to be revealed, you know, so yeah. I had the idea to do this. Uh, you know, we covered it up. It was actually a 12-inch promo uh, with one of the songs off the LP with uh, remixes from Obnox and uh, Kevin Debro from Pink Reason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was just uh, a cool thing to do in general. And then to put them together. I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. It was a windy day, and we didn't really use the right uh, adhering tape. But uh, <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was a pretty insane, expensive idea, but it was a lot of fun to uh, 
you know, trying to pull off, you know, like, uh, I don't know, picking out an edge or, uh, you know, buying a promoted tweet or something is, uh, it just seems so dull to me, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> so what, so what you're you know, saying is anybody could buy an ad, you know, or, you know, or whatever yeah. it doesn't take much imagination or something. And, uh, you know, certainly We're, gets people talking a little bit more. Right. <laughs> Were there, you know, long, though, you know, people are still talking about it, you know, three <laughs> years on. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> there you go. You know, well, were there twelve-inch records uh, flying down the streets of New York? They actually were. Yes, yes. And little kids were chasing them, and it was real. Uh, <laughs> Thinking it was, it was like a frisbee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was, I'd like to do more things like that, you know, in the future. Yeah, uh, little pranks, or stupid things like that. Throw <laughs> <laughs> money into a fire pit, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, to keep on this tread of like critiquing the music industry, which I apologize, but that I guess that was on my all mind. Right, we do it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've read many label owners and, and artists kind of express concerns about just the glut of reissues that are continuously coming out, making it difficult for newer artists to get noticed. And as someone who has done reissues or archival releases but whose primary focus is on new artists and new releases. You know, what's your take on this? Well, I guess, uh, you know, maybe some things like, uh, you know, I did the Code Bemis that, uh, you know, people I think hadn't really heard about, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, the Charlie Tweddle thing, you know, and uh, these things were fairly, uh, you know, still fairly unknown. So I thought, uh, you know, to shed some light on them would be a cool thing but there may be uh you know another fall reissue might not have to happen you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that you know uh, somewhere uh, where most people have these records in their record collection already you know whereas you know the charlie tweddle was uh, you know going for several hundred bucks on ebay and barely showed up uh, you know the code being this like uh, you know was unheard of basically and may still be unheard of <laughs> yeah right. you know uh but uh you know so i guess it's a case-by-case scenario but uh, i definitely think that you know, uh, people should take into consideration a little more, uh, you know, whether or not something has to happen, you know, uh, I guess, instead of uh, maybe a money grab or something a little more uh, cynical, I guess. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I really want to talk about that Charlie Twiddle record because that was, that was really, I believe, one of the earliest things that caught my attention for, for the, your label, maybe some Obnox stuff or Dan Malkier or whatever, but... Uh, this really is a, an interesting record because it's like this collection of I don't know, country folk songs mixed with these stretches of like environmental recordings. It, it's really right. kind of a bizarre record. And I thought maybe for those unfamiliar, if you could maybe provide just a little bit of information about Charlie, because he is really <laughs> quite the uh, colorful <laughs> character for sure. So maybe well, yeah. explain what drew you towards oh. this record and maybe like, yeah, like, why you wanted to well, reissue it? Well, it was uh, actually, uh, as I mentioned before, I was hanging, or hanging, a good friend of mine is Harry House from Almost Ready, and he had uh, rediscovered, you know, Charlie uh, in some manner uh, online, and he actually first did the new record, uh, Midnight Cowboy, before uh, he did the reissue, and, uh, you know, we were hanging out a lot at that time, and, uh, you know, he just said, you want to do this reissue with me? And I said, hell yeah, you know, it'd be a good learning if nothing else and i loved uh, you know the record uh, a lot and uh, we wound up actually going out to see uh, to visit charlie for a weekend and it was uh you know he's from uh, i don't know if you know he's from kentucky initially and his uh, father was a watermelon farmer and uh, you know he grew up on a farm and his uh, brother john twettle 
actually became a, a fine artist who uh, Andy Warhol was a big collector of his works. Mm. So there's definitely an uh, artistic streak in the family. And, uh, you know, in the late 60s, he decided he wanted to be, a, you know, a hippie. And uh, he moved out to uh, California in San Francisco. And he said, uh, in his words, he went on a three-year uh, acid-aided journey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he recorded this record, and he was, uh, you know, he thought... Uh, it would open up the world's third eye. He really thought, uh, you know, he had, you know, hit on something special. And he was, uh, you know, playing around in the coffee shops and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, selling the record at, uh, you know, and people were coming back the next week saying, hey, there's something wrong with this record. The B-side's like, it's all crickets or something. It's they're all screwed up. And uh, he actually got really depressed and uh, didn't pick up a guitar for uh, 25, 30 years after that. And... Uh, and then some local guys in Santa Cruz uh, found out who he was. He was busking, you know, out on the streets of uh, Santa Cruz, I believe. And, uh, you know, he got back into playing music. But, uh, you know, it's such an interesting, uh, bizarre record, you know. It's just, uh, you know, fits in, I guess, with, like, uh, I don't know where it would fit, but uh, it certainly stands on its own, you know, and... Uh, this was a fun project to do for me, that's for sure. Yeah, really nicely done all around, with some extra material, too, tacked on, like a whole Yeah, uh, that extra. tape was great. That was awesome. Yeah, that was actually a tape, and uh, Charlie's actually got a vault of tapes uh, <laughs> mm. to this day of uh, varying quality, but that was uh, one we had picked out, and it wound up being a perfect, uh, you know, 20 minutes, and it had that big explosion right at, like, the 10-minute mark, and me and uh, Harry looked at each other and said, oh, that's where the, you know, the side break is going to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it really worked out uh, perfectly. And I think it's, uh, you know, the material is as strong as the original IP. You know, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's such a good record. Yeah. Well, let's let's play a track from it. I, I guess they're all untitled, but uh, the part that I'm going to play is kind of the opening of Side B is what it is. So here is uh, Charlie Tweddle. There's love 
They cannot sleep There's love They cannot wait And love That hardens them to hate
Yeah. 
Well, I wanted to, in this uh, last little segment here, talk about uh, some of the things that you're involved in and then uh, discuss some of the forthcoming releases that you have on Ever Never. As we mentioned before, like you, you are involved in music, but you said it kind of happened after the label got up and running. But um, yeah. one of the projects that you're involved in is called Maximum Ernst, which is just, I love that name. That's fantastic. <laughs> we had the name, so we had to start the band once we had the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, most of the recordings that you have are like from live outings. Are you guys, you know, like performing out regularly in New York City? Yeah, we play fairly uh, regularly these days. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, once a month, twice a month, if, uh, you know, people ask us to play. Uh, you know, whenever shows come our way, we certainly say yes. And uh, we like to play out. I would feel like, uh, at least I feel like we're more... Uh, Totem in a live scene, and uh, I don't know, I'll let other people tell the tales of some of our live shows, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Maximum Earth show is always uh, a free fall, so yeah. it's uh, a lot of fun to do, and uh, you know, actually the, the CD we did was a live recording, but uh, was in a uh, studio kind of thing, uh, okay. setting, and then uh, you know, the other thing was actually also uh, not in front of an audience, but we actually have a tape coming out uh Soonish. That's uh, again us playing with Daniel Carter at a live venue. That's actually a, a live, live uh, recording. Yeah, yeah. So how did it's you a guys? A little more mellow than the previous. Uh, was okay. Thing. How did you guys come to collaborate with Daniel? I mean, I know he's he's involved, been playing with a number of people, but he certainly collaborates a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we found it. He actually found uh, my uh, bandmate Eric, who's actually. Uh, is DJ Cremo Kaleo on uh, the WFME station. Mm. And uh, there's a uh, night that uh, this guy Rob and Joe do at uh, this place, Max Fish, on the Lower East Side, called The Basement. And, uh, you know, it's every uh, the first, uh, second Tuesday of every month, and it's always uh, very experimental music and uh, performance art type stuff. And uh, one night, my buddy Eric was DJing there, and uh, Daniel walked up to him and he said, uh, hey, I like what you're playing, what's your deal? You know, and uh, they got to talking, and uh, Eric, you know, suggested he come by and play. And uh, he came by and played, and, uh, you know, we wound up really, uh, you know, hitting it off and finding uh, some nice common ground. And yeah. it was uh, a lot of fun to play with him. He's really, uh, you know, intuitive player and uh, empathetic and uh, a really nice guy to play with. It was really uh, a nice experience so yeah. far. Yeah, you said the the one that you have coming out is on tape. Is that something that you're putting out or on another label? Yeah, that'll be on Ever Never. Yep. Okay, nice. Well, another project Maybe that we'll you... Maybe we'll send it out to some places, but uh, yeah. it'll probably come out on Ever Never. Yeah. Another project that you have is called Consolidated Plastics, and I think, wasn't there something coming out from, from that group as well? Uh, yeah, we're going to record a 12-inch uh, one of these days. We just got to get into the studio. We have a... Uh, we did a, uh, a WFMU set session for uh, Thomas Sport and Dancing in the Dirt, I guess, uh, two years ago now. So we've been uh, working on this building for a while, but it's just uh, not high on the priority list. Yeah. But, uh, it's coming for those who care. And <laughs> the few of you. <laughs> yeah. Comparatively, it's not nearly as much of improv stuff, right? This is more of a rock No, band. no, these are songs. Yeah, it's definitely it's a pretty traditional three-piece. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, something of a experimental pop group or something, uh, I think somebody called it Shatter Top one day, which I thought was a pretty appropriate, uh, <laughs> you know, thing. That song's always breaking down, kind of uh, thing going on. Yeah. It's a lot well, of fun I love playing with that band. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk the upcoming things that you have in the works here with the label. And it's interesting that we're, the first thing I was going to mention is you've got 
Headroom, which you're going to be heading off to here in mere hours for the uh, album yeah. release show. Absolutely, That's yeah. Great that you are doing uh, kind of the follow-up to a record from, the, uh, well, Chrissy, who put this out last year on Trouble in Mind, which I thought was fantastic. So this is a great yeah, 12-inch follow-up that you have coming out. For sure. And then why don't you mention what else you have? I'll let, I'll let you uh, take the lead here. Oh, well, I've got, uh, you know, the headroom that came out today. And then uh, the next thing going off to the plant is uh, the next Taiwan Housing Project LP, which, uh, you know, Kylin uh, came to me with. And, uh, you know, it was another pissed-off slab of uh, <laughs> woman-fronted rock and roll. That's uh, pretty dirty sounding. And uh, after that, we got the, the Chinese restaurants uh, LP coming out. That's uh, a side group. Uh, for Mr. Uh, PPR cuts and uh, a bit more open-ended and uh, improvisational in nature. Yeah, yeah. And uh, beyond that, uh, got a few other things that I uh, can't really speak about yet. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, those are the few things that are uh, just about to go into production that uh, you know people could look forward to. Yeah, and we'll play some tracks from uh, well, I guess those three releases that you just mentioned here in the last set and uh well josh uh thanks so much for your time have fun tonight yeah absolutely with, i can't wait with the headroom crew sell some records yeah. uh send regards to the band absolutely. <laughs> let them know that i think they're fantastic yeah for sure i will <laughs> thanks right. for having me on man i yeah. really appreciate it yeah so here to start off is uh the title cut from the 12 inch from headroom this is new heaven
two, three.
that's going to wind things down for this installment of the show. I'd like to thank Josh once again for taking the time to speak with me. If you'd like to find out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that you can follow to bring you to each of the releases played. Or you can just head over directly to evernever-records.bandcamp.com to check out all of the available titles. thought, since we had just a little extra time left, that we'd drive off into the sunset, if you will, with a lengthy sidelong track called Skyliner from the brand new Headroom EP. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. And as always, thanks so much for listening.